0: book of thessalonians if you've got a bible church bible page 1189 in the new testament we should read the whole chapter second thessalonians on page 1189 of the new testament paul writing concerning the coming of our lord jesus christ and have being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or the word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction, he will oppose and will exalt himself in over everything that is called God or his worship so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. Don't remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be the accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth And so be saved For this reason God sends them a powerful delusion So that they will then believe the lie And so that all will be condemned Who have not believed the truth But have delighted in wickedness But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God has chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctified work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teaching we pass on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you In every deed and word this is the word of God
1: our second reading can be found on page 1055 of your Bibles and is taken from the Gospel of Luke chapter 20 starting to read at verse 27 that's page 1055 some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second and then the third married her. And in the same way, the seven died leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage and they can no longer die for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, and to him all are alive. This is the Gospel of
2: the Lord. And hearts to understand your word in these days and through this scripture. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Remain steadfast and be encouraged, as Elizabeth said to us right at the beginning. That is the whole sermon. (laughs) But these words from two Thessalonians are very apposite for us today because we are so aware of the conflict in the world just as there was conflict in the world when those words were written. Ukraine has been headlining for months, more than six months. North Korea lets off rockets across Japan and across Uh, South Korean waters on account of the military manoeuvres in the south. China wants to unify with Taiwan, and again, we fear the outbreak of war. So conscious as we are of all of that, Thessalonians has much to say to us. The second chapter of Thessalonians does, but it's a very dense and difficult passage, the most dense and difficult passage in the whole of the New Testament, such that St. Augustine said, I really have no idea what St. Paul is talking about. (laughs) Well, tune in, St. Augustine. No, no. (laughs) But uh, it's difficult. We might have to work a little bit at it, and there are some uh, principles that we can draw from it in a world of conflict such as ours today our faith does have something to say about it. So, the first principle is that conflict in the world brings about deception and doubt. The church then was in a time of conflict, not only uh, the wars of the world that were numerous, but also facing conflict from oppression and uh, persecution. And as we heard in the reading There was fake news being preached. Do not be deceived by the accounts purportedly coming from us that say the day of the Lord has come, says Paul. We can see from what's written that they were in a bit of a flap. We ask you not to become easily unsettled, he says in verse 2, or alarmed. So, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold on to the teaching. There's your word. Remain steadfast. I wonder if you've ever had doubts about God that have been raised over what's happening in the world. Can we really be confident that God is still in command of what is going on? Can we be confident that, uh, that even though this conflict causes questions in our head, He is there because he doesn't seem very effective. Why doesn't he stop it? Perhaps he's not there at all. How could God allow the attacks on the innocent people of Ukraine in the way that it's happened? Those questions and the doubt that arises because of them is part of the deception that comes when there is conflict in the world. Because it seems unfair, doesn't it? That any God of love and justice shouldn't do something about it. But the word to us is, do not be deceived. Verse 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. And verse 10, we are subject to every sort of evil and that uh, deceives those who are perishing. So you see, the temptation when God doesn't seem to be doing his thing in the way that we want him to, is to to try to persuade ourselves that he is separate from the world. Either he can't exist, many people think that. I had a woman in my house at quarter to twelve last night saying, my life is rubbish, bad things are happening God can't be there, can he? On the other hand, many people say, well, he's not really interested in this world. It's all about another world to which we're destined. An argument that says, of course, he's he's not fighting these wars. It's not his problem. And if we belong to him, it's not our problem either. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses take that view of the world. They said he was going to come back in 1874, and he didn't. So they revised it to 1914. And when it appeared that he didn't come back, the explanation was that he did in fact come back, but invisibly. So he presides over the saved, but the rest of the world lives on as if he has not come And nothing has happened. That's a separation of God and his world. That's not a Christian view. But they are the deception. It creates that false separation. The present war is our problem. At least we know that because the gas and electricity prices are going up. But we know more than that that actually... The Western world is under threat by such a thing. It is our problem, but God will sort it his way and not our way. One heaven and one earth will be fully united and human history will find a resolution in Christ in the end. That's what we hold on to, Because in the midst of the deception and the doubt that this conflict brings, there's a battle over the truth. False news, fake news, is abounding. There's an enemy who wants to to stop us believing in the truth. Verse 10 says, They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Verse 13 says, Uh, We thank God for you because from the beginning you chose, uh, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Who is the truth? I am the way and the truth, Christ says. If we stop believing in the truth, we won't live by the truth. If we don't believe in Jesus' return to be our judge, we won't live as though he is. But the truth is that God is in control. He will come and call his people to account. And it should give us great confidence because we can trust him. God is judging for us, not against us. There may be many things we don't understand. But there are truths that we have been taught and handed down which don't change because of conflict in the world. St. Paul tells the Thessalonians to remember. Remember what you were first taught. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. Hold on to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Don't believe any nonsense that waters down the greatness of our God. Remember, he does things in his ways that we don't always understand. And remember that when there is suffering, as we sang today, he is the long-suffering God, suffering it with us, and he will bring us through it. So, first principle, God. Conflict brings deception and doubt in the world. The second principle is that conflict in the world is a shadow of the conflict in the heavenly places. We often forget that point. We think that this world is all there is, and if there is a heaven, it's some other place, beatific and wonderful that we can't access. But when we look into this text, there seems to be four players in the conflict. Two of them are on earth. Two of them are in the heavenly places. There is the lawless man in verse 3 and verse 4. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way for... That day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one doomed to destruction. And in verse 8, he's also, there's the one who holds back lawlessness. Uh, it's there, I can't find verse 8. When the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. There's the Satan in the heavenly places, verse 9. And in verse uh, 8 and 11, there is the person of Jesus Christ. So we ask questions. Who is the lawless one? Who is he? When will he come? How will we recognize him? And we might spend much time trying to identify him as a particular person in history. So in our centuries was it hitler was it saddam hussein was it bin laden is it vladimir putin they each seem to have an increased capacity for lawlessness and godlessness each time some t- someone worse seems to come along wars get bloodier and more terrible more people are affected afflicted by Conflict and the humanitarian disasters get unmanageably worse. We can't find the solutions to the conflict, despite all the peace processes that exist. How will we know who the final lawless one is? It seems fruitless trying to locate the lawless one in one person. Every generation has a lawless one. But the one who restrains the law, verse 7, gives us a clue. What holds back lawlessness? Well, in an ordered society, it is the law. The law itself. And the rule of the law holds society together. It holds the world together by international law. See, who knows what Vladimir Putin would do if he didn't have to contend with international law that he doesn't want to appear to be breaking. But it isn't just Vladimir Putin, is it? We may ask ourselves, what would you and I be like if there was no law to constrain us? Could you and I claim that we would behave with all goodness and respect for others if there was no law at times that makes us do so. I admit, sisters and brothers, that I am constrained by the law that says I must drive by the speed limit. That is a small example of the wildness of the heart We all suffer a tendency to lawlessness. All of us have within us the sin that puts ourselves in the place of God. That's what the man of lawlessness does in verse 4, setting himself up in God's place in the temple. Uh, there's a story. There's a, um, a podcast on at the moment called Putin on BBC Sounds, and it, it uh, charts... Uh, the rise and development of Vladimir uh, to what he has become from childhood, and uh, one of the uh, one of those episodes looks at his how he's embedded himself with the Orthodox Church and the monasteries he goes to. Whatever's in his heart, he places himself publicly uh, in the rituals and the rites of the Orthodox Church. And uh, the story in that is told uh, in that little episode is told when he, he goes uh, on a Good Friday to the monastery and he's advised as to when the moment might be when on Good Friday he might want to prostrate himself in front of the Lord for forgiveness. And his response was, I am president of. Of the Russian Federation. Why should I need to ask for forgiveness? All of that kind of lawlessness in the hearts of people across the world is the shadow of the conflict between the heavenly players, the Satan who wants to put himself in the place of God, who uses every kind of scheme and evil deception to do it. And God himself, who is the ultimate law, God who resists evil, God who stands against evil, who will now allow no evil to exist, whose perfect standards set the order of creation and who will not compromise on his perfection. So the conflict that we're caught up in is part of a more desperate struggle for eternity. And our sin and lawlessness accords with the work of Satan himself. Our failure to live by the truth that God is in command is part of the great rebellion against God. God will resist that rebellion. In verse 11, he sends a powerful delusion to those who refuse to love the truth. So they believe the lie. People caught up in all sorts of conspiracy theories doing amazingly bad things, such as the man who tried to firebomb the, uh, the uh, refugee reception uh, place at Manston last week. Driven mad by a failure to love the truth and a propensity to believe the deception. Does it mean then that God cooperates with evil? No, it doesn't. It means that if we persist in resisting God, in the end, God will give us our heart's desire. C.S. Lewis says there are only two kinds of people. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those who, in the end, God says to them, Thy will be done. If we don't bend our will to God's will, then we will be destined to live with the consequences of our will. Remember the truth, says St. Paul. Remember what you were taught. Remember whose side you're on. So that when uh, when you act in earthly conflict, you're on the right side of the heavenly conflict. I told you it was dense, but it's good. Because the third principle is that victory in the heavenly conflict has already been won. And Christ is coming to bring victory on the earth. There are four verses that speak of the victory. Verse 13, God chose us to be saved. Did you hear that? God has saved us. Not God chose you to be saved in the future, but you're already saved through belief in the truth. Verse 16, he loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and hope. Verse 1 and 2, the Lord Jesus coming back, however we understand that. He will come back, and verse 8 tells us, will overthrow the lawless one by the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. These things are assured. This is what the cross of Christ has achieved for us. And through the resurrection, eternal victory over all evil has been secured. So take courage from it, sisters and brothers. Know that when he's fully revealed, as he surely will be, there is not going to be a great struggle. It will be over in an instant with the breath of his mouth And the splendor of his uh, will, uh, he will destroy the forces of evil which oppose him. The victory is already won. And so Paul says you may be encouraged in your faith. Don't get in a flap. Remember uh, to, to hold to the teachings. Because if Jesus is bringing victory over all the earth, We want to be on his side when he does it. We're all caught up in conflict. But whilst we remain on earth, we are all able to do something to bring about peace and anticipate his victory. So live for him now. Verse 17 is our battle orders. May God encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and work. We are a people of good deeds and works because we're trying to be like God. Where is your God, the woman said to me last night. I said, well, there's me, there's Anita. We're being kind to you in your time of need. We can be those good people, even in the world of conflict. Amen. well we come to our final song um i'm going to sing together bless the lord oh my soul and uh you know i hope this is a uh, a good song a good uplifting song at the end of this sermon which um, encourages us uh, again helps us to uh put our faith firmly uh, in the lord and to, to stand on him um if